It was discovered in 19, the early 1900s by, uh, I believe, party of the Stan Livingston Party uh, in the Ituri Forest in the Congo. It is the only living relative of the giraffe. If you see an okapi, they are approximately six feet tall. They weigh hundreds of pounds, and they have the facial features of a giraffe and the body of a horse or zebra with zebra-like striping on, on the back part. And we decided to select the Okapi as representative of our firm because the Okapi coming from looking like two unique creatures brought together into a new and unique offering is very much a metaphor for what we do. We work with investors and corporations to help them with their investor response need, and we were the newest created firm at the time. This ticker podcast is coming to you from the Citadel Securities Trading Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. At the time was 2008, and amidst the worst financial disaster since the Great Depression, Bruce Goldfarb had decided to quit his job as head of M&A advisory at Georgeson Inc. and embark on a new venture. Not necessarily the most propitious time to start a new business, yet alone one of the advisory sort. After all, who knew back then that demand for advice about arcane items like shareholder activism and proxy solicitation was about to skyrocket? Well, it looks like Bruce Goldfarb did, for one. And as the activism landscape grew ever more tangled and fast-paced, the company he founded flourished. On this ticker podcast, how passive investors make their voting decisions, not to be an activist's target, how to get retail investors to vote, how to fix the proxy plumbing, why ESG consciousness is critical in contested proxy campaigns, why we still need proxy solicitors, and much, much more. Okapi Partners President and CEO Bruce Goldfarb at The Post next. What we do as a proxy solicitation and investor response firm is we help our clients understand who their investors are, how those investors think, and how they behave, and ultimately what that behavioral pattern is during proxy season, whether from historic voting discussions that we arrange for our clients with their investors or other issues that come up during the year. So an IR professional needs to appreciate what investors are thinking today, who those investors are, and especially in a world where IR professionals tend to communicate most with their active investors, 
with portfolio managers who take an active position with research analysts, either on the buy side or sell side, who actively follow the company, uh, the IRO needs to appreciate that the voting base of their company can be very different than the base of the active involvement that they may have with investors on a day-to-day basis and in earning calls and in other outreach. Our role is to really help our clients go through their share ownership list and dissect each investor and appreciate that the changes in the shareholder base over time may be very different than their approach to a very active problem or very active outreach. And so we frequently find, especially with small cap and mid cap companies, that there will be an assertion by IROs, especially even good ones, that they talk with all of their investors and they have an active program. But when you start going through the process and you find out that, say, the top 10 holders would include passive investors, uh, the people who vote as investment stewards rather rather than active managers, they may not know who those actual investors are. They may not know how they're going to vote. They may not know the policies that they undergo. And so it's critical in 2019 to understand those practices for this year. That's the biggest issue that we encounter is understanding who your voters are and how they're going to vote and what's important. Back the last time, last time we probably spoke, these posts were occupied by what were called specialists. Yes, and that used to be a big uh, sort of brand marketing uh, aspect for the New York Stock Exchange. They would say, "Well, you want to know what's going on in your stock? You call your specialist." Can't do that anymore. It is a different, very different process in terms of knowing who your shareholders are. As a proxy solicitor, back in the old day, our role was to reach out to the investors who voted and get them to vote. And there was a lot of discrepancy among the different kinds of investors in how they voted. Retail shareholders required a certain process to vote. Institutional investors had a process under which they voted. And different institutions voted differently. We've seen an evolution, not just in who those institutions are, but how they behave. And what we do for our clients is now provide stock surveillance work that maybe the specialists used to provide in the past. So Okapi Partners went out and acquired a stock surveillance firm in 2018 called Market Intelligence Group. And now the Okapi Market Intelligence Group helps our clients track who is buying and selling shares, looks at the volume of the trades, looks at the brokers where the trades are occurring, and helps create that kind of understanding of an investor base, which may identify an active investor coming into the stock of a company. It may identify an activist coming into the company, but it may also help our clients understand the kind of electronic volume that occurs day to day. And given the changes in the shareholder base of a company so that there are more passive investors, or I should say more shares held by passive investors, what I would also call investment stewards, uh, ETFs, etc., those investors who don't sell and buy positions as actively and tend to buy and sell with the market in general, 
they may impact the trading volume as a whole. They certainly do. But the fact that they don't buy and sell significantly means that the swings that occur when other investors buy and sell smaller amounts due to the lack of overall liquidity of the ETFs can really move the prices around. Understanding who's buying and selling can be very important, especially when the companies, I should say, issue uh, investors only report their ownership on a quarterly basis unless there's an extraordinary event and they make another kind of filing. So in terms of understanding who your shareholders are, a very significant role of a proxy solicitor can also be in terms of the stock surveillance aspect. Now, what's interesting about the so-called passive investors is that they do end up having an active voting voice in a situation of importance to the company, especially in a proxy fight or a merger transaction or in a vote about management's say on pay. And so for all of those situations, understanding that those investors collectively may own a big chunk of your company, or for that matter, may have had those shares on loan, Mm -hmm. and so that they may not own as much as you think they do, but they'll still own a significant amount, can completely impact the vote. So having the right approach for these investors is critical jump back a decade or a decade and a half, most of those investors either voted with management or they relied on the proxy voting advisory firms, ISS or Glass-Lewis, to make a recommendation for them. We've seen a significant evolution in the past couple of years, not just in the growth of the size of the positions they own because investors put money into those funds, but also in how those investors think about how they vote. And that in particular means there's been a growth in the groups that make the voting decisions, the groups that call themselves usually investment steward group, uh, investment stewards, and they run an investment stewardship group, meaning that they are going to own these shares on behalf of their clients, possibly forever, or as long as the company is going to be an existing trading company and they're going to make their voting decisions in a manner designed for long-term value. What long-term value means to each of these investors is different. Investor to investor has a different but not inconsistent view if you're a passive investor. So that means that they have certain corporate governance guidelines under which they view their investment. That means that environmental and social issues have become more important in terms of how they make their voting decisions. And it also means that they don't rely on the advice of ISS or Glass-Lewis solely to make their decision. And depending on the firm, some firms will say, of course, we look at that advice. Some firms will say it's a data point. And some firms will say we have our own group and we make our own decision. So knowing the distinctions among those investors can be very critical to getting that vote. When you combine that with an activist situation where the activists, many of whom have become very sophisticated about how other investors think and behave, know how to reach out to the other investors, understand which large investors, which 
investors have the kind of equity position that they may need to gain support to win a campaign. You've got competing camps vying for people who have a lot of investments, decisions to make all the time, guidelines to think about, and have limited time per company to do it because they have a lot of a lot of votes to make, but their votes are critical. So you got to know who your investors are more than ever and how yeah. they're going to vote. What are the things that they're going to be voting on this? What are the big contentious issues coming up this year? Well, the contentious issues for investors will include fights over value of companies. That's where most of the proxy fights occur. Most of the time, the very good activist shareholder is a deep value research investor on its own. And those situations are going to mean that they have looked at companies now, possibly for a few years going forward, and identified their targets, looking at the relative performance of the company to its peers in a market price way, but also looking at the company operationally, uh, where it allocates its resources, what it has done in terms of buying and selling companies, its, its M&A situation. It's also looking at the board itself, the tenure of the board, the, um, uh, the way the board is comprised in terms of its diversity of thought, tenure, background. Uh, they're going to be looking at environmental and social issues if they are a business risk to the company. They're going to be consider, considering all other factors of, of risk, whether it's cyber risk, whether it's risk that the board doesn't have diversity, whether it's risk that the board has too much debt. I- issues that you may have not expected in the past, P- PG&E being a very good example of a company that is facing risk to its board because of climate change issues and and the result of fires that have occurred in California and now ultimately a bankruptcy there. So companies always need to understand how their operations and the thoughts that they make uh, in terms of their strategy can impact how a company's shareholders are going to vote. Our activist clients are always looking at these factors. They screen not only for performance, but also results from voting in the past. So a company who didn't achieve a high say on pay uh, vote in 2017 and 2018 may have triggered an activist to take a deeper look. A company with a board that is all male may have triggered an activist to take a deeper look. But the most important factor is a company who's underperforming and doesn't articulate why something I believe is a, is a trend is, is activists hitching a ride with uh, passive investors over ESG issues. Is that, is that going to be kind of a, a, an activist strategy? An activist strategy over the past decade has been to identify issues that also concern other investors. Whether that concern resonates with an active investor who is not in a position to be an activist on its own, or a passive investor who has policies and guidelines, but again, doesn't have the resources to be an activist. They have the ability to work together with an activist to put forward their agenda in, in terms of getting a, 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 an election campaign going. 
And, uh, you know, an example right now uh, would be uh, at Allergan. Allergan. Appaloosa has filed a shareholder proposal to separate the chairman and CEO at Allergan this year. It was a proposal that was put forward for a number of prior years with support from some large shareholders and support from people who have a governance agenda. And so that proposal will be on the ballot again this year. Um, We are going to see situations where activists will join together with investors who are upset about the composition of boards. We saw that last year at Destination Maternity. Uh, We are going to see situations that maybe flip the whole situation around, Jeff, where you have an activist invited into the boardroom to help solve a problem that was caused by a social issue in part, and that's Papa John's. So here you have an investor invited into the boardroom because they have credibility with other investors, and potentially that will help solve the social issue that's a drag on the performance of the company. So this is a real factor for companies in 2019, that you do have to understand how your investors are looking at your company, at your performance, at your board composition, at the stances that you take on environmental issues and social issues, especially to the extent that they're relevant to your business and the performance of your business. If you're a company in the energy sector, you have to have policies that are thought out about environmental matters. If you're a company that makes beverages, you have to think about having a sustainable supply of water. And these kinds of issues will be the the tying factor between an investor who is passive or an investment steward who looks at environmental and social issues and an active investor who cares about the value of their investment and looks at these issues as true risk to an ongoing value creation for the company. A lot of the action then is coming from uh, the institutional side. The thing that keeps popping up in the conversations I have is the rise of the retail investor come proxy season. Right now, uh, especially when it comes to ESG, retail investors don't give a damn. They don't care. It's regulations that might change and a lot of technology allegedly is going to make it much easier for them to vote. Scary? Not scary? Opportunity? What? Uh, you, you have to look at retail shareholders as a voting block that by and large have been apathetic about the ownership positions that they've held. And the companies and activist investors recognize that it can be very important to get investors to overcome their apathy and take action. There have been significant campaigns in the past couple of years where retail share owners have made the difference in the outcome. I can think of a couple right now, Procter & Gamble, Arconic, Campbell Soup, each of which have been uh, companies that have been iconic companies, Arconic in this instance being Alcoa spinoff, iconic American companies held by a significant amount of retail shareholders who may or may not have voted in the past or who own the company forever either as employees, 
descendants of employees, or just investors for a very long time. As those shares have been held for a while, and there have been changes in regulation and technology, many of those investors haven't voted. In, you know, 20 years ago, they relied on their brokers to vote on their behalf using the NYSE's Rule 452. Rule 452 tends to be very limited now uh, in, to allow for broker voting largely to ratify, uh, ratify auditors. It's not generally used to elect directors. So in a director election campaign, you need to get your retail shareholders to vote which leads to the question, how do you do it? And we have been working with some smart techno technologists on ways to do more outreach to retail shareholders. We have specialized in outreach to investors through printing, mailing, through phone calls. When you're able to get a hold of those investors called non-objecting beneficial owners, the current System. Oh, come on. Isn't that, isn't that, don't you need a lot of phones for that? It's not. I, I thought we were in the uh, social media age. Well, that's, we, we still do outreach by phone. Um, and we do have the ability to reach out to many shareholders by phone and, uh, every day. But you, you are correct that you need to do more than reach out by phone because the modern investor not only doesn't pick up their landline phone, if they even have one, but they also have become uh, tired of telephonic outreach in a world where uh, we have seen scandal involving corruption of data. We have yeah. seen uh, situations where investors receive numerous phone calls for, a corp for political election campaigns to the point where they don't want to pick up the phone. There's a distrust of not knowing who's on the other end. We don't. And so, nor do I in many cases pick up my phone anymore. Certainly not my landline phone. In fact, it wasn't working for a we month and a half. Do not to non-payment on my end, but some uh, failure of the the company to with a line breakage a couple of miles from my house. But, but we didn't miss not having it because you have so many, so much additional access. So we have to do more outreach to investors uh, in other ways, making use of social media. You're, you're seeing election campaigns where the parties are making videos. The parties, in the case of Elliot working against Arconic, actually mailed a video to retail shareholders that they could open up, see the message, and it contained a proxy card to respond. We're sending more of the proxy cards electronically over the internet. People can receive their documents electronically over the internet. We're also making use of outreach to investors over their phone. We're making use of text. We're making use of advertising on social media to get more of a response. But you have to work hard on your messaging campaign on which or we work this year. Or you bribe your shareholders. Well, it's like, not Like a bribe. Bank of America did. Can't comment on calling it a bribe. I would With say that... With their own money. I would say that uh, using some inducement to get the intention of your shareholders in our modern world is something that may make sense. I would never think of it as a bribe. I would think of it in terms of getting their attention and getting them to take action that may be 
beneficial to the shares that they own and participation in general? You it know, would totally get my attention. That's, <laughs> that would be the only time I think I would ever vote. Really? Is that right? Yep. You have to. I think if you, I don't know if you own shares in Campbell Soup, but if you, if you did, and you saw the video messaging that Third Point put together uh, about how Campbell's had become bad and explaining how the value of your investment had failed over time, you may have wanted to get a vote out there and get the get a new board and refresh, refresh Campbell's soup. So there is that issue. The other issue, and the SEC does have to address this issue, is that a failure of participation, not just on the corporate side, but on the investment management realm, means it's very hard for investors to even approve the issues for the passive funds in which they invest. So if you own funds, shares of an ETF or a mutual fund, and you need to get a contract approved, if there's a change of control or elect board members, the participation rate is so low that it can be hard to take action and it can be very costly as people like at our firm have to reach out and get more people to participate. So finding new ways to get that participation can be critical to the ultimate vote and can be cost-effective. One more thing I, I really want to address, when you were talking about investors not caring, what we are finding is that the next generation of investors, the millennial generation, and maybe the Gen Z share owners, when they start to think more about these issues, really care about environmental and social issues. And they've made that clear in many ways over social media how important these issues can be. And so companies who want to get their participation and who want to let their investors know that they think about these issues have an audience that can be very supportive of of supporting management who is in tune to these issues. In the alternative, an activist or another investor who thinks about these issues can attract the millennials as a potential source of investment capital for their fund or can get them as supportive uh, voters in a campaign. You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, the sound of global investor relations. Um, but you point out that, and you're not the only one to do this, but getting in touch with those retail investors, you can take out a magazine ad, at least you could a long time ago, yeah. and that might be effective, but um, just reaching them is uh, next to impossible right now because of the whole proxy process. The current process that limits direct contact for a company with their investors to only those investors who are willing to say, we do not object yep. to you contacting us. We are they a non- They have to say that. They have yeah. to, depending on how their brokerage account works, they have to either affirmatively say that we do not object, or they, they have to come to a point where they don't contact their broker saying, I don't want to, I don't want to be contacted. But for the most part, you have to affirmatively sign up and say, I am a non-objecting beneficial owner. 
the other alternative, as you mentioned, is the OBO, the objecting beneficial owner. Currently, companies can only contact their non-objecting beneficial owner, their NOBOs. That can be sometimes less than half of all of their shareholders. Sometimes it can be a little more. But, but ultimately, there's an impediment. You're, you have to contact the share owner through the representatives of its broker. You have to mail material, or if those investors allow for uh, electronic delivery, they may get them that way. But you're always relying on an intermediary. We think that the rules should be changed so that at record date, a company and a third party in a contested election can have the ability to contact all beneficial owners, all registered shareholders of the company directly with a campaign. There may be some investors who don't want to be contacted directly and there can be ways to set up an account in a nominee name so that you or, don't or have to do that. Or they would just actively say no, because right now the default is they, they actively say no, they, they passively say no. They, usually it's passive. I mean, depending on the broker, and this is fairly technical, every broker, when you set up an account, has a very lengthy form or it's in very tiny print, if it's not very lengthy, about what your rights and obligations are as an investor in a brokerage account. Somewhere in that form, it explains whether or not you can be an oboe or a nobo. Most people don't even notice it. I've been to a large brokerage firm that I will not name, and I particularly wanted to become a nobo and they really didn't know the difference between the two and they couldn't set it up for me. And I realized that no matter how many times I asked, I ended up in that account as an objecting beneficial owner and so I changed to another brokerage firm. But well, maybe that's, they were, I mean, it's to their advantage, they don't want you to be a noble, an a noble, right? They, they want I, to stay that middleman kind of. Well, they're going to stay the middleman. I don't see, it, it, it's a discount brokerage, so they don't really care what okay. I do. <laughs> um, but I don't see the difference for them. Yeah. Unless I'm asking for their advice on what to buy and sell and how should I vote. And candidly, very few brokers want to even provide that kind of advice in the current world. Most brokers are happy if you want to be that involved to make a decision about your own voting. Yeah. And some brokers have actually allowed you to offload your broking, broke your voting decision to ISFs. They have a way to set that up. And I think that's a good solution for people who are interested enough to want to vote and they are interested enough in guidelines and find a way to participate. But for the active retail investor, who wants to receive information, the broker, the obo-nobo distinction may be an impediment even to somebody who wants to receive information if they don't appreciate it. And for the all investors who sometimes want to make those decisions, the system is not in place to get there. We believe, and I don't think it's individual or unique to me or to Okapi Partners, that allowing a company and a third party who wants to communicate directly with a potential voter, we think that's a great thing. We think that will enhance participation and enhance informed participation. Currently, uh, the lack of information that retail investors have impedes their informed voting and it impedes their ability to want to vote at all. It's no different than the political election campaigns that we have where 
there is a barrage of information for political election campaigns. Not always is it informed information. Our goal is to help get investors better information, let them answer questions, let us or the company for whom we are working or any company be able to answer questions for investors and let them make an informed vote. If you contrast the proxy voting system with the political voting system, you have the ability to vote from the day proxy materials are available until the polls close. Corporate elections have always allowed that kind of ability to vote and vote again if you have access to your ballot. Contrast that with political elections where you had to show up at election day, now moving to a larger window, making it more like the process, but yet without the ability to reach your investor, you're not taking advantage of all of that uh, abilities, all of that process. Well, okay, what's going to be, how's that going to change an IRO's job if, if their shareholder register is virtually transparent to, to them? It, it allows an IRO to look at the totality of their investor base and appreciate that they may want to message to some other investors, they may want to create messaging that helps align what the company is doing with the interests of their shareholders. Understanding the composition of your shareholder base, including the retail base, potentially being able to match your retail shareholder as an investor with the products that you sell if you're a consumer-oriented company may allow for an alignment of interest, may create more value for not only the retail shareholder as an owner, but also as a consumer. And you may have that alignment work very well to the advantage of the company as a whole, to the advantage of other investors who will see, wow, this is a company that really understands consumer behavior. Maybe it's worth buying and it might attract other other investors on the institutional side. So it's a win-win. we've experienced is that the activists, when they target a company, they've targeted a company because there are performance issues. And when retail investors vote in the most recent situations, they tend to be supportive of the activist. Uh, we, oh, I did not know that. Oh, in, in I, I the last... Were, I thought it, it was just management kind of all the way. Okay. No, in the past couple of years, retail shareholders have become more supportive of activist campaigns than they had in prior years because of their awareness of the issues, because of the change, I believe, because of the changes in technology and how information gets to individuals. You can look on your smartphone and get an update about the shares of a company that you own all the time. You can get news about companies that you own all the time. You can have the, the media come to your hand on your smartphone and tell you an update about a company. And so they are receiving and learning about the challenges that a company may face when an activist attacks. And they could have access to the information from the company and from the activists and make more informed decisions. And investors who have seen their share price drop continually can be angry. They may not sell. But they may then say, hey, here's my opportunity to send a message to vote for change. And in campaigns over the last couple of years, 
like at Arconic or at P&G, uh, you're seeing more retail shareholders not just vote okay. the company line. I thought that was kind of an anomaly based on just billions of dollars being thrown at them. I, I don't think it's an anomaly. I think it's a change in the access that investors have to information. And we also do see in every situation, there are some segment of the retail shareholder who is active about their investment, sometimes angry. They tend to be the ones who vote first. Okay. So for the company, getting the, apath the apathetic investor to vote with them can be good, but sometimes it may not be, and that's part of the reason that you see certain companies in a proxy fight settle. It's not just that they've heard from the large institutions, but they've also heard from retail shareholders who have said, we can't believe that you're spending this money on a campaign that you haven't, that right. you're losing my money throughout the years. So retail, retail can be uh, a, a beneficial voter to either side. For a company who's doing well, it can be somebody who supports management. For a company who's doing poorly, they can support an activist position. We're seeing right now with our share, with the campaigns on which we are working, is that these issues are mattering. Environmental, social, governance, board composition is critical in contested election campaigns to campaigns without a contest because the passive investors are very interested in hearing from the companies that they own about their strategy, about how their companies, uh, in one instance, they want to hear what their, their strategic thought, their messaging is about the company. Can you put into a few sentences what's your core value as a company? And so that all ties to a sort of ESG world. And so these issues have become critical as companies are reaching out to their investors before proxy season. They reflect the voting pattern of their large investors if you don't think about ESG issues, that can negatively impact your vote even in a routine election. And certainly ESG issues and performance are a huge topic for a company as they move into a contested campaign. And that's your ticker podcast for this week. My thanks to Okapi Partners, Bruce Goldfarb. And a reminder, this Tuesday, April 23rd, IR Magazine's latest webinar in partnership with S&P Global on ESG for IROs. Learn how to create a compelling narrative on ESG performance and much more. Sign up at BrightTalk or irmagazine.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Cassette. Citadel Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. The content of this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Citadel Securities.